It means how can we operate from that place of internal balance, internal sense of resilience and peace, internal energy in a way that I feel like I'm meeting my outer demands in the world. I fundamentally believe that every single person has the capacity to tap into an innate well-being. And that is part of our potential as human beings. And I really saw myself, that role of leader is that's my job, is to support people in bringing that forth. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. This podcast focuses on exemplary leadership, the type of leadership that brings about positive, meaningful change in places that matter. We explore how these leaders make things happen and the lessons they learned along the way. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. Hi there, it's Leanne. We've got another great interview with another exemplary leader teed up today. Wanted to make sure that you're also aware that I produce some pretty in-depth show notes for every single episode. Lots of links and resources included in that. So if you'll head over to the Rise Leaders website, look at the podcast tab, all the episodes will be listed there and just choose the button that says must read show notes and you'll have access to a lot more links and resources. Also, speaking of resources, I do have a resource page that you might find interesting. Lots of my favorite books and articles and YouTube videos listed there. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. I was reflecting on the actual number of years I've known Renee and it's 30. Renee, you did my health assessment when we were both at EDS. We were both in our 20s and in our first jobs at EDS. Both of us had several careers or several different jobs while we were there. You know, you just told everybody our age. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we were both in our 20s at that time. So both of our careers took various twists and turns, and we connected again a few years later during a change management workshop that you were leading, and we've stayed in touch. And I'm just so happy to count you as a dear, dear friend. You're also someone that I admire tremendously. And when I think of you, and I often describe you this way as the epitome of the creative mindset in someone who lives with such integrity with your values. And I'm really excited to talk to you today. I couldn't be more delighted than to be here. And I could say, ditto, 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 (laughs) everything you just said about the level of respect and love I feel for you. Thank you. It's a really beautiful thing to have these days. I gave a little bit of background, but I think your path is so interesting. And I would love if you would give us a quick snapshot of how you got here. Yeah, I'll try. It's interesting when you're in the middle of it, how you don't, or from my experiences, I didn't know where I was going. And as I look back, I see the thread, this thread of this deep belief in our capacity to be well and our capacity to thrive. So it started really professionally before you and I met each other. I came out of college as an exercise physiologist, and my first job was at a heart center. 
and I was doing exercise and diet prescriptions with heart patients, putting them on the treadmill, doing heart tests. And I realized then that I didn't want to be at the back end, the downstream part of ailments and illness and heart disease. I really wanted to be upstream, helping people live in such a way that they hopefully prevented that illness. I said early on, I will never work in a big global corporation (laughs) and I will never work in a big city because those are the two evils on our planet. And again, this is 30-something years ago. And of course, I end up in a global corporation in the middle of Dallas, Texas, where you and I ended up meeting, running the health promotion department. So early on, I moved from the exercise physiologist to truly a specialist role and was asked to be the leader of a significant-sized team. I think we had 42 people in the organization and going from not leading anyone to now leading this organization. I think the big aha I had was I was responsible. It was my job to create the conditions where people could show up their best selves. And my goal became how can they leave work more refreshed, more capable, having grown as human beings more so than when they even came so that work became a place that supported their family life and everything else they were doing in their life. I think what I realized in that is that the role of leader for me ended up being a role of doing the work that I loved, which was wellness and well-being, really Mm. advancing wellness and well-being. That was my job as a leader. And if I did that well, then the people that were working on our team would bring their best skills and collaborate, etc. So that was a big aha for me is that the role of leader could be one and actually was one that is actually a role of well-being. It's about creating the culture where people thrive. And it's interesting when you talked about being in the Heart Institute, noticing that you wanted to be upstream. You didn't want to be on the back end of it. And I'm just tying that here to what you're saying about leadership that's upstream as well. Instead of just focusing on the task or the job, you're really focusing on the team and the person, which is upstream from the task. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. So for me, one aha was about moving from downstream to upstream. And the second one was moving from the role of specialist to leadership. And by the way, I don't think everyone needs to make these kinds of shifts to do fantastic work to advance well-being in the world. But this was my path. And you're right. I think they are both looking for how do we continue to go upstream and create those conditions where people can do their tasks well and do their jobs well and also aren't burnt out and stressed out in the middle of that, therefore causing illness, disease, etc., I feel like in my early 20s, I got some big ahas or a lot due to the fact that I kept getting thrown into situations where I had very little mentorship and no guidance. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) So, (laughs) So it was a lot of bumbling around. I mean, it's easy to talk about now when you look back, but when you're in the middle of it, it's like, oh my gosh, one thing that I think has been... Uh, saving grace, I guess, for me is that I fundamentally believe that every single person has the capacity to tap into an innate well-being. And that is part of our potential as human beings. And I, and I really saw myself, that role of leader is that's my job. 
is to support people in bringing that forth in the way that they can best do. So luckily I was curious and I was getting a lot of feedback that it was a great team. The team was, we had worked together before I became the leader and we had lots of respect for each other. We had a lot of trust. So as I shifted roles, I asked the team, tell me what I am doing well and what I am doing not well, how I'm getting in your way. And the team gave me a lot of feedback. So I'm really grateful to have been thrown in, but to also have this very supportive team who basically shaped me as a leader. So many great aspects of a learning leader and a learning organization there that you just named. And I'm also remembering, Renee, you were in your early 20s. I continue to be amazed at your natural leadership and ability to reflect and see a broader perspective. You know, instead of just going in head down, nose down, focused on a goal, you really seem to have that ability to step back, see the system, and be open to how you can be most effective in that system as well. I appreciate you saying that, and I think I eventually get there. I also go the other path quite often still, which is <laughs> focus on a task, you know, nose to the grindstone goal, and I get such immediate feedback from my body from my emotional state, from my thinking, I get such immediate feedback that that is not the right path for me, that I don't show up my best self. When I get overly stressed out on making something happen, you know, something you know about me is when I do get clear, I have a lot of willpower and I get clear and I start going for it. <laughs> but I have to learn over and over and over again, how do I get results with more ease and less efforting and less will and let some of the results unfold in a way that we could not have designed. That's been a 30-year learning process and one that I'm still, you know, still learning. Well, you came hardwired with that will. And like you said, it's something that serves you well. And if you're not careful, you can get overcome by it. And there's a cost to that. And it sounds like over the years, you've become really aware to listening to your body, etc. I've become better. I'm smiling over here because I'm in the middle of one of those moments of saying, okay, <laughs> here's the time to ask that question again. And it's the question I always ask myself, how can I move in a way that has greater ease and greater mm. feeling of greater support. Because mm -hmm. being clear mm -hmm. about vision has never been a challenge for me. I thrive thinking about vision. I thrive working toward a bigger purpose and especially a purpose to advance well-being and conscious leadership. So those are things that I wake up in the morning thinking about, making sure that I myself have a sense of that I'm coming from a place of internal balance and that I'm really caring for the things that are really the most important things in my life, my relationships, my family, my own physical health, you know, all those things. So I work on all the things that all of us are working on. And I just feel grateful that from a body standpoint, I do get really quick feedback. I want to have you continue talking about your path and how you got here. So you were at EDS and I know there was a change there. Sure. So after this first role as a leader, we were seeing in the wellness department, a lot of stressed out people. And when we started tracking where they were coming from, they were often a really high percentage. And I can't remember what the percentage was, but a high percentage 
was coming from the mergers and acquisitions the company was doing. So EDS grew very quickly from, I think, 41,000 people to 110,000 people. And you can check my math on this because you were in the company as well. Mm -hmm. We grew super quickly. And a lot of that was through merger and acquisition. The company was being a technology company. The company was actually really impeccable as far as merging technologies or acquiring technologies that would fit in. But we weren't great at the lens of people. When you're buying a company, you're not just buying the company and the, and the assets as far as technology. There is a culture, a way of working that brought that technology to life and made it work. We weren't good at really honoring that. And also, when needed, blending that with the culture of EDS and respecting that. So because I kind of raised my hand and said, we're noticing a lot of stressed out people, I got an opportunity to speak to our executive council about it and was asked then to start an effort to build our capacity across the company for what we called was change management or change leadership. I don't even remember exactly what we called it, but it was all about humanizing the change process. So how do we really start to use that lens of looking at people and human dynamics in this kind of significant change? And so I led that team to really understand that. We built a capacity of coaches, strategists, practitioners around the globe that were more skilled at using a methodology for humanizing the change process. And as part of that, this little effort was part of this, what we call the Leadership Design Lab, which was now in leadership development or underneath leadership development. We started doing some efforts to seed a whole different mindset within executives across the company and high potentials. We did nine-month programs. We think we did five of them called Leading Learning Communities. And mm-hmm. it was all about teaching. We, we basically use Peter Singe's discipline as the backbone for the content of that program. And it was all about transformational leadership. It was all about how can we support leaders at not only looking at how to acquire more skills, but how do we support leaders in having new lenses, new ways of seeing the world and therefore mm-hmm. new ways of operating. Boy, I am really remembering all of the tools and models that came from that, like mental models, letters of inference, all of those things that really helped shape how we all saw the world differently. It, it was remarkable. Us, you know, what you guys were doing, it was so remarkable and it was so cutting edge. And think of it, this was 1993. So even before then in the health promotion department, we started seeing if we taught smoking cessation in the traditional way, we would get one result. If we brought mindfulness practices, so John Kabat-Zinn's book came out at the time, Full Catastrophe Living. And so we were learning about mindfulness through his work. If we brought mindfulness practices into our smoking cessation programs, we would get a different result. We would get a better Hmm. result. People really not only stopping smoking, but sticking with it. So I was coming from that, this wellness, well-being, mindfulness, you know, some ahas we were having there as a group moving into now this change leadership, humanizing the change process and organizational learning. And I now I'm going to not quote well, but it's always Margaret Wheatley's book, Leadership in the New Science, I think also came out about that time. And there was something she said in it that I won't remember the quote exactly, but it was something about if you help a system understand itself better, understand more of itself 
it will naturally return or discover its health. Hmm. It will naturally discover, and I'm going to use well-being here. So to me, that was another big aha for myself, which is, okay, the job here is really helping people use different frameworks to connect with themselves, to build a different kind of relationship with themselves. And when they build a healthier relationship with themselves, they naturally want to build a healthy relationship with customers, with community partners, with countries we're operating in, etc. There's just this natural process that happens. So that was what was happening for me in those years. And that was like 93 to 96. And when I look back now, when I look at what companies are doing now, and I look at what we were doing at EDS then, I go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe the company allowed us <laughs> to do the stuff we were doing, but it just made sense. Some of the work that we were doing, other companies are just now discovering and the models and tools are also timeless. Just like you said, with noticing breath or mindfulness, that never goes out of vogue. Mm-mm. It's always a core practice and it's something that sustains the other practices. Well, we've created systems and structures that draw us away from ourselves, our capabilities, our strengths, our energy. They draw us away from ourselves. So we wonder, and I don't think we're questioning much anymore about why are we burnt out? Why are we so stressed out? Why are people so disengaged? Well, because the structure systems and processes never really factored or never were designed around how human beings actually operate best. And the moment we start to support people in really connecting in, and then when I say connecting in, I mean, some of it is just simple observation practices. But the moment we support people in really connecting in and in building teams around that clear and authentic connection with each other, then the results that occur are absolutely amazing. You know, well-being to me is often about the relationship we have with ourselves. I've got lots of definitions of well-being, but one of my favorites that makes sense to me is what is the relationship we have with ourselves? What's the relationship we have within each other? Is there well-being in that relationship? And what's the relationship we have in what feels like our outer world? And you and I have talked before about is that outer world really an outer world or is it are we <laughs> are we constantly in this dynamic we're part of this dynamic living system we are it we are it mm-hmm. so it's not separate but it feels in our minds it can feel separate so what's our relationship with it seems like a good time to ask you this question here well-being and wellness are different to me how do you make the distinction between wellness and wellness initiatives that you might see going on in corporations versus well-being? It's a great question. And it's one of those that in the field of leadership and wellness and culture of well-being and all, people are just trying to wrestle down. And I don't know if there's one right answer. When you look back at some of the best work in the wellness world, like by Halbert Dunn, who was someone who, who created some fantastic thinking around wellness in that field, wellness and well-being would be the same thing because Hmm. it really was about this deep inner capacity. And I would say that's what well-being is. When you look at how people use the word, so I'm giving you two different answers. I don't think they were ever meant to be separate types of words or distinct words. They would be even synonymous. 
But when you look at how we use the words today, most people will use the word wellness to mean lifestyle behavior. So it'll mean Mm -hmm. how I exercise or move, how I eat, how I rest, relax, rejuvenate, how I sleep. So these are all wellness behaviors and these are important. Well-being more and more, you know, we have so much science now about well-being being this psychological capacity, this internal resourcefulness to meet our demands in the world. So when I think about how can I lead from well-being or how can I support people in leading from well-being or how can we operate from well-being, it means how can we operate from that place of internal balance, internal sense of resilience and peace, internal energy in a way that I feel like I'm meeting my outer demands in the world. So that would Hmm. be well-being. And then the third definition I gave you just a couple of minutes ago was more about relationship. And it's actually one of my favorite ways of thinking about well-being because now it connects the dots between me and we. So it's not just about my well-being. It's never just about our individual well-being. We exist within relationship always. Relationships with our families, our friends, our workmates, our supervisors, our neighbors, our nature, we're always in relationship, including the relationship with ourselves. And how can that be one, a relationship that is founded in well-being and that actually fuels us? So that's another way of thinking about well-being. And so I'm going to loop back to leadership effectiveness. And if a leader is focused on their own well-being and really not just focused on it, but aware So it's not just another initiative or another strategy, but they become very much aware of their well-being and they learn how to pull some levers or change some things that results in an overall sense of well-being. What do you feel the impact on their effectiveness as a leader is? I think that at one of the deeper levels what happens is that leader or leadership team or whole organization, depending on what level you're working with, starts to shift from operating from a reactive orientation, an orientation based in either fear or a sense of wanting safety more than the vision that they say they want or control or protection. So this Mm -hmm. reactive orientation, and there's a shift to moving to a more creative orientation, more generative orientation. And you know, you can even think of it as simple as moving from fear to love. Love meaning not the kind of romantic love, the way we normally use love, but love as this sense of inside out, sense of inspiration, sense of the deeper purpose that is either guiding them or unfolding through them. A sense of, you know what, I would wake up in the morning and do this because I, I can't help not doing it, that kind mm-hmm. of energy. And that's another way to think about it. I'm moving from leading from external demands and pressures to leading from this place of desire and internal of control. So that's that reactive creative shift. And when I think at the deepest level of when we lead from well-being, imagine just you know pausing for the moment right now and thinking, I've really just taken a breath and connecting in with what's going on with your body, with your emotional state, with your mind. And for a moment, as you breathe, bringing that just in the present moment without judgment, 
with the simple act of observation and with compassion. And when you shift, like I literally, as I'm talking about it, I can feel my energy because as I'm talking, my arms are moving, you know, wildly because <laughs> I talk with my hands, but immediately everything settles down and I can literally feel my attention kind of turn inward with that sense of presence. Now make a decision from there with your senses, that, that sense of alert relaxation. That is a whole different place than we're usually making decisions from. Because we're usually through our day going so fast without pause and we're just bam, 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 decision, 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 decision without that level of just presence. Well, I noticed as you were leading us both through this exercise, this impromptu exercise that as I dropped in and listened to you, I felt some water in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really profound space to allow ourselves to be in and to remind ourselves that we can be in that. And what I also know about myself and whether I'm doing this podcast and I have some performance anxiety around that, or if I'm coaching someone, the more that I can drop back into notice when I'm not in that space, I'm sitting up in my chair, my heart rate's a little higher, my hold tension typically in my jaws. When I'm there, I'm not connected to myself and I'm not connected to the other person either. And the more that I can operate and work from this place that you just described, the more things just happen, conversations come up, insights arise that it's, I think it's physiologically impossible for those insights to come when I'm in that other posture. Totally. I mean, what you said is just beautiful. So it's another way to think of exactly what you just said is in a state of contraction. It's not just Mm -hmm. our bodies that contract. It's our emotional state and our mental state. It's hard to see beyond that box we're in. But it's in a state of presence. There is this sense of expansion where new ideas come up, new creativity comes up. I I know you have been, and I've been in them with you, in conversations where we are listening so intently to each other that something new arises, something new Mm -hmm. that neither one of us could have known, couldn't have planned that. Well, imagine that thing being a whole new world-changing innovation. This is how important it is for companies to be supporting that level of presence because that's what can unfold between people when we are operating from that level of well-being. And even if it's not some great innovation, just the feeling of enjoyment and fulfillment at work. And connection. And connection. We spend so much time at work that I feel sadness when I think the amount of time that we spend at work and disconnected at the same time. It's such a lost opportunity. It is, and it's showing up in the statistics. I think it was last year that Gallup, the World Polling Organization, did some great research on engagement, and I think it was 85% around the world of employees were disengaged or actively disengaged, and 65% of leaders. That's a lot of disengagement. (laughs) I mean, like, (laughs) well, you know, if that is, think about, I imagine that is human systems being capped. That's potential Mm -hmm. capped. Think about it through a a system of Ayurveda, 
or a system of traditional Chinese medicine or yoga where your job, all of our jobs as leaders, leaders of ourselves and leaders that are creating environments for others is to support energy flow, is to support circulation and connection. Hmm. That's our job. And imagine that you have this cap on top of people and yet you expect sustainable high performance. I don't know how that's possible with that level of disengagement. I really don't know. I don't either. And another thing that occurs to me is that it's up to each one of us, even if you're not in a leadership position. So we could put a lot of burden on leaders that it's their role to create these environments. And it certainly is a large part of their role, but they're not solely responsible. We all have our own role to play in our own well-being and our own ways that we connect with each other at work. And it feels like some of the conversation out there has given employees or individuals kind of an out. But we're all responsible for our own well-being and how we show up at work and how we connect with people or we don't. Well, that's we have the, a responsibility there too. That's the other big shift. I mean, you're, you're bringing up the other big shift that I think has been happening over the last few decades, and that is the nature of workplaces and work itself is changing, especially for knowledge-based work and service-based work, where you've got organizations that used to be highly systematized, highly structured, um, reliant on specialties. So you like stay in your lane. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you're working your lane towards specific outcomes now and, and you're employed at a place for a long period of time, the company owes you that and you owe the company loyalty. So there's the contract. Now you've got organizations that are trying to get clear about their purpose, trying to get clear about the vision of what matters, but the pool of people they draw from, they need people to show up with a diversity of talent. They need less the specialty, or if they need the specialty, they need that specialty to be able to collaborate with others. So they need connection. They need people to come together in whole new ways. And now what used to be the role of leader, which was command and control, is now more facilitator and coach. And when it comes to true leadership, everyone has to lead. Everyone is creating the environment for in which that team operates. And that team Mm -hmm. comes together, does work, and then may disband, maybe an ad hoc team. They may not even be together for a long period of time. You know, and the other element to that is we used to all go to the office and see each other every day. And now I'm in my kitchen right now. You're at your home right now. (laughs) And here we are working together. I just got off of a team meeting with the Global Wellness Institute. And we had about 25 people on the call, everyone from different countries. Hmm. And this is more common than not. So all of us are responsible for the energy we put in to that relationship, that team, and how we show up. So I'm, I'm absolutely agreeing with what you're saying. I think the role of what we think now about the leader or whoever's in that role, and that could shift. You know, a team, multiple people can take that role. Like everyone can also do this, but this is the role that is, should be purposefully looking over the whole system and saying, where are we gaining energy? Where do we have vitality? Where are we performing well? And where are we losing it? Where do we have stress? Where do we have burnout? What needs to shift? So that is a particular role. And boy, that's a whole new skill. 
totally. that's something that we're not teaching in business schools or in college or anywhere. We're not really teaching that. Renee, I want to shift now a little bit because one of the reasons that I really wanted to speak with you today is for you to talk about the Be Well, Lead Well Pulse instrument that WisdomWorks has created. And you have a certification coming up. And I know registration closes at the end of September. And I am so excited about this tool. I've actually participated in it myself. Why don't we just shift and talk about the tool a little bit? And I'd love to create that bigger picture about how this tool supports well-being in the way that we've been discussing it this morning. Well, the tool was born out of this kind of conversation. So imagine now let's go back 30 years and we've talked about kind of those early days after then being a part of the change leadership group and doing the organizational learning work and then taking a brief job at the Coca-Cola company. I co-founded WisdomWorks with David, my husband. And from that moment, we decided that our unique offer in the world was the conscious evolution of leadership. So our leadership development company, but the frame that we're going to bring is to support leaders in operating from this foundation of well-being. So early on, we had a qualitative interview process that we would use pretty much with every client, unless there was a client engagement we got in that didn't warrant it. But pretty much with every client that started out as what we called a whole life assessment and then later on turned into what was called an executive lifestyle analysis. But what we were doing is looking at 18 different factors of well-being and asking the people we were talking about how that linked to their leadership effectiveness. So it was out of all of that work, all of the thousands of people over 17 at the time years of coaching, teams we worked with, et cetera, just hearing how people made those connections between their physical health, their emotional health, their spiritual health, et cetera, that Be Well, Equal Pulse was born. We had decided about three years ago, we loved the process that we were using, but it was not scalable. So it was one person at a time that you did interviews with, and either the, each of the interviews was pretty lengthy. And we wanted to build something that could be an online tool that could be used with one person, a group of leaders, or a whole organization if we wanted. And then we could be looking at that sort of thriving and flourishing and resilience across an organization based on different slices and demographics of the organization. So we worked with the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs and came with, again, all this qualitative insight, you know, insight we'd gotten from all these qualitative interviews and said, this is our vision of what we want to build, and they helped us build it. So it's been quite a wonderful partnership with that organization. It's the Positive Organization Center in the Business School of hmm. UCCS, which has been terrific. And we then built, um, as of the first of last year, we then had an online tool called Be Well, Lead Well Pulse that looks at 19 scales linked to thriving. And those 19 scales roll up into six dimensions. And the leadership teams, organizations that use the tool, get factor scores in each one of those 19 scales and six dimensions. And the dimensions are everything from flourishing and resilience, you know, some, some well-being oriented measures that you and I have been talking about, 
to we have a category called fuel, which would be more of the traditional wellness lifestyle, which you and I also talked about. So eating, moving, resting, and breathing to everything from on appreciation, learning and growing, vision and purpose, wholeness. Then we tried to take it a little bit further and say, this is not just about the person using the tool themselves thriving. And this, again, you and I discussed this earlier. It's about how can that person, by their very presence and energy, be an amplifier of thriving in the lives of others. So there's one whole section of the tool that's about how you are maximizing potential in others, energizing others, and creating an environment of care for others. So truly about how to be well, you know, well-being in your being, but also how to lead it. And we've now been using that tool, and we were getting this last year lots of queries from practitioners who want to be certified in the tool. So we decided, let's build a certification program. And for me personally, especially at this phase of my own career, it feels like such perfect timing to say, prioritizing thriving, making that critical to every system in which we are operating in these systems that we are trying to evolve, making thriving a priority is so vital as a shift in our world. And to be having a whole network of people who feel grounded and confident in their own being to do that, that's one of the goals of the certification program is to support people in feeling confident in opening that door, that conversation about thriving in a way that they know has a scientific basis for it. And they feel in their bones, a sense of confidence around that. So that's what we're doing. There's so much noise in the outer system right now that it's easy. I know for myself, I can get overwhelmed by the news of the day and just have to stop watching, reading anything because my system responds to all of this external noise and it gets frazzled. So this focus on well-being, it just feels like the timing is perfect. So when you do the assessment, little ad here, you get this beautiful interpretation manual that has a description of all the different dimensions, if you scored high, if you scored low, etc. And then there's also this really beautiful report that once you finish all the questions, you get this report and a debrief with it. And you did my debrief, I think at the end of last year. And the great thing about doing an assessment for me is that I was able to connect some dots that I didn't even know were out there. Not only was I not connecting them, but I didn't even know that they were dots. And I was explaining to another colleague about this last week. And the aha was that I have a very positive outlook on the future. So I have like faith in the future. So you can probably tell me exactly which questions or which set of questions came from that. I look at the future and I'm like, yes, I feel very positive about my future. And I'm in transition. So it's like there was a gap there, but it was so wonderful for me to see that even though it feels confusing right now, I have a positive outlook that I didn't realize that I had until I got the results. It's like, yes, that's right. I do have faith in the future. I'm just in a rough spot right now. Right. Well, I mean, one thing that we know about thriving is that, and you just said it, that, that this is part of your makeup. I think it's in general part of most of our makeup, and that is 
being well or well-being doesn't mean that you're on control or on top of everything right now. That's not what it means. But part of a person's well-being is having a sense of optimism about their own resourcefulness or their own future. So this, this optimism, when you say faith in the future, we literally were measuring optimism. Regardless of what's going on right now, you have the sense of, you know what? And in the next five years, I have faith that I will experience well-being then, at least to the degree I am now or better. And that optimism itself, just that, is critical to your well-being today. It enables you to move through whatever challenges you're dealing with right now, all the noise, all the distraction, all the, all the, all the, with this sense of inner resourcefulness. So, you know, we're back to kind of what really does it mean to thrive or what does well-being really mean? It's not this static, permanent state of controlling everything, because I actually think that's a recipe for suffering, personally, is every time we think, and you and I know each other really well, so when I'm stressed, my knee jerk is want to be in control. When I go there, that's when I will suffer most. And all of us have sort of the natural tendencies that we go to when we're stressed. Even knowing those can support your well-being, support you in making that shift. Yeah. And like I was saying, seeing that on paper was so reassuring to me. It's, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, I, fundamentally, <laughs> fundamentally optimistic. I don't know. There was just something about seeing that on paper and seeing the dimensions that I could then tie it to. And even with this interpretation manual that I could say, oh, then here are the practices that I need to be engaging in, in order to not just practices, but perhaps conversations. Who do I need to be talking to? What do I need to say? What do I need to get clear about? That was all part of this really very in-depth interpretation manual to help you up-level your well-being. So I'm a huge fan of this tool. And to me, I asked you, I said, is this your opus? (laughs) It just feels like such a huge accomplishment. And I'm so excited and proud for you and for you and David that you brought this into being. I am too. I'm excited, nervous, all those things that are part of excitement because it has felt like a huge piece of work. And again, when we started it, I don't think I thought about all that. It just was, we want this particular type of tool to legitimize and ground this kind of conversation. And we just don't see it out there yet. So let's build it. And the interpretation manual, honestly, I thought was going to be more of an afterthought. And it's ended up being one of the most important, every piece, the assessment, online assessment, the structured debrief, and the interpretation manual, all three have been equally important pieces to support helping people move from new insights to, so what? Now what? What would you actually do? I don't think we knew that as consciously as I now see it. Now I'm going, oh my gosh, that was a lot of work. And <laughs> It looks like so, a lot of work. Yeah. But I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about what's happening and the launch of this new certification program. We've already got people signed up and we're going to close the registration at the end of the month. So it, I'm thinking that this thing is going to happen. Totally is going to happen. And this is a great place for us to start winding down. What I do want you to do, though, is just 
give yourself a plug and tell us how to get connected with the certification or just with the tool itself? The easiest way would be to go to our site called Be Well, Lead Well, as in all one word, bewellleadwell.com. That site has our programs that are all around leading from a foundation of well-being or this form of conscious leadership. At the very top tab, it's got the assessment. So you can click on assessment and you get to Be Well, Lead Well Pulse. Or if you click on the tab called certification, it's got all the details about the certification program. Great. So if people are interested in certification, they can look there. And if they're just interested in the assessment, bringing that into your organization, doing that individually or with the team, they can also just get more information on your website for the assessment itself. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. It's all there. Or you can contact me at Renee at wisdom-works.com. Excellent. I just want to say again how excited I am about this. And for you and for David, as someone who's taken the assessment, I can also say it's really, really helpful. And I think it can be a game changer. So congratulations on all your hard work. Yeah, Leanne, thank you. And you have to know, and if I haven't told you lately, you have to know that as someone in my life who I feel this unconditional support and admiration, you're it. So mm. thank you for all the ways like doing this podcast that mm. you're supporting me. And thank you for doing the podcast period. This Rise Leadership podcast is adding something unique to the whole conversation about conscious leadership. And I really appreciate you putting, it's a lot of energy and a lot of effort. And I appreciate you doing it. If you like what you heard today, and the direction this podcast is pointed. Subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on iTunes. Leave us a comment and a five-star rating. You can also check out the Rise Leaders website at www.rise-leaders.com to find the resources I pull from in my coaching and consulting work and that I find central to transformative leadership. If you're committed to leading with a clear vision and from core values, and taking your team to the next level, then get in touch. You can reach me, Leanne Mallory, from my website. I'd be honored to hear from you. I appreciate you tuning in today, and especially for being the type of person interested in learning more about how you can elevate your part of the world. Take good care. Mm